Hey, Brando. Woo. Welcome back to reality. Uh, yeah, that's a hard slap in the face, coming back that, to reality. It sure is. What a, what a whirlwind of a uh, of last week and a half. A whirlwind, and a, a ni- it was a nice break away from all of the uh, complications of modern society, like social media. I, I kind of enjoyed that break. That part was really nice, I, I, I tell you. You know, it, leaving Grand Portage, Minnesota, the flickering, wavering last bars of connection to the, to the world was a little weird at first. But it took me, you know, 22 minutes to, to get outside of that harbor to realize it's nice not having a phone, not having any connection with the world. Yeah, I kind of miss that, actually. I uh, <laughs> I still haven't finished going through my photos. Of course, I've been super busy. But, um, yeah, I haven't missed that that need to uh, check social media or respond to social media. So. That part's kind of good that, uh, that you haven't had time to get to your photos yet. Because, like, I can live, you know, it's like... I can live in the glory a little bit with, with my shots. I'm like the opening band, you know, at the big concert. He's the opening, opening band, band comes out. Yeah, these guys are pretty good. <laughs> You're better and than then, the And then the, ha- the headliner comes. Oh, you forget. I'm just waiting for the headliner to drop those photos here. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think he is. Big D's uh, dropped a couple of nice ones. I just noticed this couple, morning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a few buttes he's got. So yeah, everybody. Uh, thank you for putting up with our week off as we spent uh, last week up in Isle Royale, Isle Royale National Park. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Up in up in Lake Superior. Uh, it's weird because you're, you're in Michigan, but. By all accounts, when you look at a map, I mean, Isle Royale should belong to either Minnesota or to Canada, probably, because uh, you're really you're like 10 minutes from the Canadian border, you know, when we leave to get out there. Far, far, very northwest of Lake Superior. Two and a half hour boat ride to get from Grand Portage over to the island and then another five hours to get to the other side of the island where we're trying to start our week last week. So it was quite the adventure. Uh, that's after two days of driving <laughs> to get all the way up there. Yeah, there was a bit of driving, a bit of boat drive. Well, the boat ride was kind of nice because it's just a, a really nice little slow chug out and it's very scenic and uh, it's relaxing. So I didn't mind that at all. It, it couldn't have been a more perfect adventure, if you ask me. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great word to describe it, too, because it, it really is a little adventure. So shout out to Ryan and Alex over at Isle Royal Charters. You can look them up at IsleRoyalCharters.com. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram, too. Best damn boat slash dive crew in Isle Royal. If not the world, I, I mean, I tell you, I've done, they were great. I've, yeah. I've done liveaboards in the Great Lakes, a few of them. You know, this one uh, up in uh, the, nor- the North Channel, uh, Southern Georgian Bay. I, I've done Cocos Island. I've done Galapagos liveaboards. This was maybe it's because it's the the most recent one, but I don't think that's the case. This was my favorite liveaboard. The food was incredible. Service was great. The food was great. The diving was, you, you don't get better than those, no. those kind of shipwrecks in fresh water. It was cold. No. But it was. <laughs> no. <laughs> but those wrecks were just amazing. So yeah. check out the, the photos to come from, from the headlining acts of Brando <laughs> and Donnie, people. Well, I appreciate the kind words, James, but I've, I've, been looking at your picks they're pretty damn good man i don't know what you're talking about headlining so you know what we did have up there in isle royal brando was shipwrecks we had cold 
fresh water. True. We had one of the least visited but most returned to national parks in all of the United States. Yes, that's an interesting little fact, which doesn't surprise anyone who has been up to Isle Royale. We had a beautiful nighttime sky with stars in the jabillions. How, how many is a jabillion? It's, that's, uh, I don't know. Did you count that? Quin, a quinzillion. <laughs> you might be exaggerating. Nighttime <laughs> star, shooting stars blasting through the sky every night. Shooting stars, satellites, you could see it all. The Milky Way stretched out across the uh, the open sky. It was gorgeous. There's, and you know what we didn't have? Um, we didn't have no zebra mussels. No zebra mussels, no. No. No internet. And no sharks. No dang sharks. Wow. Good point. Good point, James. Especially, we were up there. Is it Shark Week right now, or was it last it's shark, week? Yeah, no, it's this. Shark Week just started. Mm. It's, we are in it. We are in Shark Week, everybody. And that's the beauty of diving a freshwater sea like Lake Superior, which in most accounts, you would look at that and you would think you're on the ocean. You did get the wood shark. The wood shark got you. I did get attacked by a wood shark. They get you when you least expect it. Wearing shoes, that's all that all you gotta do to protect yourself from the wood shark. <laughs> I was on the I was living the boat life, man. Mm. The old boat life. But when you're out on something like Lake Superior, where where you're really out in the open sea, the vastness of Lake Superior. I mean, you expect to be on the ocean. I mean, that's what it looks like you are. But you're not. You're on a lake. The largest freshwater lake in the world, according to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, by measuring it by actual surface area. The largest in the world. Many say it's an inland sea, James. That's what I'm saying. It's an inland sea. Well, I told the people... That while we were gone swimming swimming around in the old Gitchigumi, that I was curious as to you know uh, what what people were going to be listening to while while we were gone while we had a, a, a week off and yeah uh, there was a lot of catch up you can see you know uh, getting you know getting through the squalus the squalus is still ranking pretty high all all three parts of it but Brando. But there was there was the quite butt. a few people that were revisiting this year's cave international cave month and a half that we ended up doing with the, the Sheck Exley episodes and the George Irvine do it right or don't do it at all. Mr. Controversy, Rob Palmer's death episodes. Nice. So it sounds like our, our listenership didn't really go down. They just uh, listened to a couple different episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't go down too bad. Maybe we could take another week off. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so thank you, everybody, who didn't just ignore us, that, that were, were missing us while we were gone for a week, and went back and uh, re-listened to some of your favorite episodes like episode 103 oh the profanity <laughs> and uh some of the old early back in the, the the episode 60s the the deep air episodes that we did popping back up and brando uh getting uh i mean like we got home immediately we got home and i had to get right to work because i had gareth lock in town you did for that yes. for that human factors class, so I had two days of, of just <laughs> full full days of work immediately getting back back into town. It's been exhausting. It has it has been a little exhausting for a couple of at least one old dude. I won't call you old. You can call yourself old, but <laughs> I'll say it for a couple old dudes because yeah. You had to come home and go to a wedding and 
all the uh, all the surrounding pomp and circumstance of a wedding. Right, and you got yeah. kids flying back into town for yep. a wedding, and like you're playing chauffeur all weekend. Yep. So anyway, we're just getting settled back in, and I, you know, I, I don't know about you, but when I get on a dive boat, yeah, dive boat for for multiple days, yeah, I'm not, sh- I'm not shaving. No, I'm I, barely uh... showering. I didn't. What do I need a shower myself. for? I got the whole lake right there. <laughs> exactly. I exactly. can take a Lake Superior bath. I'm good. I'm with a bunch of dudes on a boat. That that fishy smell never gets old either. You, you like Old Spice? Well, this is this is not Old Spice. <laughs> but it was a. Uh, it was this nice is, to uh, get back. This is a new scent called Old Poisson. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to get back to the old uh, manscape smells and cleanliness i'm telling you when i got home the first thing my wife said to me was i I know what you're thinking she's she says hi honey (laughs) no no, no. i love you i miss you no 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 no. she says when are you gonna shave that you're gonna shave that's right when are you gonna shave that ladies and gentlemen it's time to unleash the beach beast that's within you just like i had to I had to whip out my old Beard Hedger Pro Kit. This summer, Manscaped is here to help you level up your beach game with that new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. (laughs) They've gone past the waist-deep game with uh, the whole grooming empire, and they're diving headfirst into your facial hair fantasies. The Beard Hedger is a game-changer, allowing you to shape your beard like a true beach babe that you know that you are deep and down inside. So this summer, let the beach balls bounce and turn heads all over the place. Visit manscaped.com and use the code TGDP for 20% off and free shipping. Do it. Brando, you uh, you always have a, a good tame to your mane. <laughs> I... <laughs> I, when I got home, you know, I, I had to go back to clean shaven Jamesy to keep Mrs. Jamesy nice and happy. And she said, old Jamesy, it's time for you to say goodbye to that troubly stubbly on your face. And uh, she handed me my Beard Hedger Pro Kit, told me to get to work. Dang. You know those 20 haircut and lengths, one guard? I love that. Waterproof. I love it. Titanium coated T-blade. That's the real reason. Lather up some beard oil and beard balm. Just sculpt that thing to perfection. You come out clean and mean, smelling like, like what? What rhymes with clean and mean? <laughs> you come out lean and mean, smelling so clean. There you go. Smelling <laughs> like a clean scuba machine. <laughs> lean, mean scuba machine. That's what you are. All right, everybody, go over to manscaped.com like you guys have been. Big thank you to you guys for uh, helping support us and support Manscaped through supporting us with that code TGDP. Go get your 20% off and free shipping, manscaped.com. Brando, people, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code TGDP at manscaped.com. The Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. You know you need one. Get one for your friends and your family, and uh, keep supporting Great Dive Podcast through a good old Manscaped. Brando, it's Shark Week. It is Shark Week. I've noticed that. And I have a story for the people. I have a story for you. Oh, now I'm now my ears are perked up, and I am listening. When you think of sharks, who's the man that you think of? Uh, well, there's several people, but... Basically, the big one for me, because I grew up in the 70s, is uh, the Jaws author and um, shark aficionado, Peter Benchley. You're goddamn right. That's who you think of. Really? I got that right? <laughs> Peter Benchley. Who else are you going to think of? Uh, well, there's, you know, the shark lady. What about shark ladies that we have out there? Shark lady. Come on. It does not go with my story and plan <laughs> at all. You hit it perfectly. Okay. All right. Well, I, I, I should just not look a gift horse in the mouth and just accept 
that I nailed. No, one. you're uh, you hit it. You hit it. We're going nice. back old school. Remember back in the olden days of Great Dot Podcast, where I just like came up with something we got on the air and just bam. You had no idea. What we- <laughs> <laughs> that is old school. That's that's what I like about the Great Dot Podcast. Is I just show up, <laughs> and you have to do all the the reading and work prior. Well, in the very early 2000s, Peter Benchley wrote a book called Shark Trouble. Shark Trouble. Is that like a teenage after-school special? I've got shark trouble, Mom. I ran home from school. I'm embarrassed I have shark trouble. It's like girl trouble. Only but worse. With more worse. teeth, yeah. <laughs> Way more teeth. Like, well, he wrote this book about... You know, just dealing with sharks. You know, partly uh, he he looked at what what writing Jaws did for the shark world and really scared the living shit out of people in regard to sharks. He wrote this book to to have a little bit more of his personal account and history with sharks. And first swimming with him and the mid-1970s, which is a story that we're going to look at. But then uh, just like talking about different types of dangerous sharks that are in the ocean. and Not only that, but different types of marine life that are just as dangerous. So, so why are we so focused on just the sharks? As well as like understanding that the ocean in and of itself is kind of a, just a dangerous place just to, to try to swim in the ocean a, against a, a longshore current that's never going to get tired. I mean, there's a lot of things to concern yourself with. And then not only that, but really looking at these aliens in this world. And at first you think aliens meaning these big sharks, but really the aliens being us humans, I mean, it's, we're going into the oceans. The sharks aren't rolling up on the beach nabbing people. Not yet. Just like it. Not yeah, yet. It just, I don't know. I think like we could find were, a few cases where they did. They just roll. You see them rolling. <laughs> just like if you were going to go walking through the jungle. Right. Yeah, you wouldn't see a shark there. No, and, and you wouldn't be upset that you got mauled by the tiger I would walking be, through I the would jungles of Southeast Asia. <laughs> Actually, I'd be a little upset about that. I, would, I wouldn't like it. But we wouldn't blame the tiger. No, there's no blame. This whole blame thing is a human construct. I mean, I don't think uh, animals blame each other for their appetites and hunting each other. They just know it's, it's business. It's the it's the circle of life, James, and that may be the fascination with sharks is they're an apex predator, and um, they make uh, quick work of our little hands and feet. Uh, they are very efficient, and that is where the fascination lies. South Australia, nineteen seventy four. Oi, oi, my a. Peter Benchley wrote a story called Swimming with Nightmares. Sharks on the barbie, eh? Let's start with a little story about sharks. Sharks and the fosters. Dangerous <laughs> reef, mate. In the Neptune Islands. <laughs> Blinded by blood, Peter Benchley said. Nauseated by the taste of fish guts, whale oil, in putrid horse flesh, I gripped the aluminum bars of the shark cage to steady myself against the violent, erratic jolts as the cage was tossed by the choppy sea. A couple of feet above, the surface was a prism that scattered rays of gray from the overcast sky. Below, the bottom was a dim plain of sand, sparsely covered with strands of waving grass. The water was cold, a spill from the chill southern ocean that traversed the bottom of the world, and my core body heat was dropping. It could no longer warm the seepage penetrating my neoprene wetsuit. I shivered, and my teeth chattered against the rubber mouthpiece of my regulator. Happy now, I thought to myself. Ten thousand miles you flew for the privilege of freezing to death in a sea of stinking chum. It's 
<laughs> Go ahead. You know, in, in some respects, it's, you know, people are so, you know, they, they just think you get in the water and your ass is getting eaten by a shark. No, you've got to work for that. You've got to work to get your ass eaten by a shark. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, it's you got to go through a lot of work to make sure you create the right environment to get that monstrous beast of a great white to even get close. Yeah, that's I mean, that's almost with um, any shark, you know, you go you go out diving and you're actually looking for the shark encounter to snap that photo or just to have the experience of swimming with the sharks in the water. And they, uh, if you do have them, they're, it's quick and they're gone pretty quickly usually. For scuba diving, that's almost always the case. Right. right? It, it, it's rare to have a long shark encounter when you're just free swimming right. with, with, with sharks that do happen in the area. I mean, they come, they see you. And they're gone pretty quickly. It's not like Sharknado. Right. No, the Sharknado is completely different. (laughs) In Sharknado, though, weren't the sharks like everywhere? They were going through buildings. uh, They were flying literally in a, a tornado, hence the term Sharknado. So old Peter Benchley, you know, he he got the, the huge success from writing the book Jaws. It's it's kind of a he's got kind of a, a, a great story because he was just about to give up, uh, you know, after a, a decade or so of you know trying to become an author, and worked a bunch of different jobs and you know TV and newspapers and but. He had uh, an idea of a, a book about pirates and a book about a man-eating shark. And luckily it hit. And then he uh, you know, really took off when uh, they made the movie Jaws. And he got to help uh, with that screenwriting. That was a quick, I mean, that was a quick from, from publishing to movie time, you know? Very quick back in that day. I mean... It was, you know, in the the early 70s, you know, when he was a struggling writer. Well, it was 1974 when uh, the book was published, the movie, June 1975. 75, yeah, yeah, it was a year later, you know, so it it hit and it, it exploded. And then here he is, 1974, after the writing of the book, he goes down to South, South Australia to actually swim with these sharks. He says, I envisioned the people on the boat above, warmed by sunlight and cups of steaming tea, cozy in their woolen sweaters. My wife, Wendy, the film crew from ABC TV's American Sportsman, the boat crew and their leader, Rodney Fox, the world's most celebrated shark attack survivor. I thought of the animal I was there to see, the great white shark, largest of all the carnivorous fish in the sea, Rarely had it been seen underwater. Rare still were motion pictures of great whites in the wild. And I thought of why I was bobbing alone in a flimsy cage in the frigid sea. I had written a novel about that shark and had called it Jaws. And when it had unexpectedly become a popular success, a television producer had challenged me to go diving with the monster of my imagination. How could I say no? Like this. Nope. <laughs> nope. I'll pass. It's an exhilarating sight to see the old great white. I'm a poet and I didn't know it. <laughs> Make it stop. When I went, I was in Isla Guadalupe years ago. Here, this Crystal here's... clear water. Yeah. You know, that the Australian water's... Little, a uh, little murky, a little, little, little bit of a different feel. So the book was published in February of 1974. When do you think they started filming? So they knew they were going to make a movie out of this. Immediately, 
probably March of 1974. That was May when they started uh, principal photography. So they already they were in that, which is weird. I don't know if have you known any other books that were really and and this is out of a writer. You just said he was. It's coming out of a writer that was at the. I'm I'm failing. I'm going to quit because so he has nothing out there. He's not like uh, okay. We know this guy's going to give us a blockbuster, which the term blockbuster came from uh, Jaws. The uh, the summer blockbuster film, right? Was Jaws. started with Jaws. Jaws was the original summer blockbuster oh, right. film. The idea of a blockbuster. Anyway, I just thought that was interesting yeah, that it started so quickly after the uh, publication of the book. And, I mean, uh, how could they know? I know it, it had good reviews and everything, but how could they know it was going to be... There had been nothing like it, really. You know, and doing undersea movies is not a recipe for success. <laughs> Especially at that time, right? Yeah. That's what I mean. There, there really was not a, a lot of underwater movies because the the cost goes up for production because of all the water and the extra equipment and divers and whatnot required. Pretty, pretty interesting fact, though. I find that interesting and curious that they started filming just months after the publication of a book from a. Relatively not successful author. A very I, I, unknown, pretty right, much. About something that really isn't in the public you know, lexicon too much, especially back then. But it, it, it won. They, it, it hit a home run, if you want to call it that. It, it was a blockbuster. It was a box office smash. Now, though, Peter says... I wondered how I could have said yes. Visibility was poor. 10 feet? 20? It was impossible to gauge because nothing moved against the walls of the blue gloom surrounding me. The blue gloom. I I turned slowly, trying to see in all directions at once, peering over, under, beside the clouds of blood that billowed vividly against the blue-green water. I had expected to find silence underwater, but my breath roared like the wind in a tunnel as I inhaled through my regulator and my exhales gurgled noisily like bubbles being blown through a straw in a drink. Waves slapped against the loose-fitting top hatch of the cage. The welded joints creaked with every torque and twist, and when the rope that tethered the cage to the boat drew taut, There was a thudding, straining noise and the clank of the steel ring scraping against its anchor plate. Then I saw movement. Something was moving against the blue, something dark. It was there and gone and there again, not moving laterally as I thought it would, not circling, but coming straight at me, slowly, deliberately, unhurried, emerging from the mist. I stopped breathing, not intentionally, but reflexively, as if by suspending my breath I could suspend all animation, and I heard my pulse hammering in my ears. I wasn't afraid, exactly. I had been afraid before on the boat, but by now... I had passed through fear into a realm of excitement and something like shocked disbelief. There it is! Feel the pressure in the water as the body moves through it. The size of it. My God, the size of it. (laughs) We're going to need a bigger boat. Great White Shark is like, uh, you know, they're big, you know, 15 to 16 feet or so on average, some of them upwards of 20 feet. It's a big fish. What I remember most of seeing the great white is not so much even just the length of their size, but like the width and yeah, the girth. physical girth of that shark is just crazy. They're thick. They're long. The shark in Jaws 
you know, they they made old old Bruce the shark. Yes. That mechanical shark was like 25 feet long. It was right. it was overly big. And then with the, in the scene, you know, they, they made the cage that old Hooper was in, like, extra, especially small, just to, right. to really give it that that forced perspective of being a gigantic beast. And then as the shark movies continued after that blockbuster smash of Jaws, the sharks just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, of course, until you've got the Megalodon, Mega... What's it called? What's that movie? The Meg? The Meg, yeah. Yeah, the Meg is the size of like a a small skyscraper these days, I think. <laughs> skyscraper <laughs> with teeth. Yeah. The animal kept coming, and now I could see all of it. The pointed snout, the steel gray upper body in stark contrast with the ghostly white undercarriage, the symmetry of the pectoral fins, the awful knife blade of the dorsal fin, the powerful deliberate back and forth scythe-like tail fin that propelled the enormous body toward me, steadily, inexorably, as if it had no need for speed, for it knew it could not be stopped." It did not slow. It did not hesitate. Its black eyes registered neither interest nor excitement. As it drew within a few feet of me, it opened its mouth, and I saw, first, the lower jaw crowded with jagged needle-point teeth, and then, as the upper jaw detached from the skull and dropped downward, the huge triangular cutting teeth, each side serrated like a saw blade. The great white's mouth opened wider and wider until it seemed it would engulf the entire cage and me within it. Transfixed, I stared into the huge pink and white cavern that narrowed into a black hole. The gullet. I could see rows and rows of spare teeth buried in the gum tissue, each tooth a holstered weapon waiting to be summoned forward to replace a tooth lost in battle. Far back, on each side of the massive head, gill flaps fluttered open and shut, admitting flickering rays of light. It's pretty dramatic reading for the description of a shark. Oh. Rows of teeth coming forward to be replaced. <laughs> what the... Uh... It's not... It's why we're glad we don't have these <laughs> great whites out in the Great Lakes of... Lake Superior. Did you know that uh, there are some humans that have that same capability of replacing teeth perpetually? What's that condition called? It's called a teeth replace lamania. I don't know. What, what do you mean? I, I do not know the name of it. A millisecond before the mouth would have collided with the cage, the great white bit down, rammed forward by a sudden thrust of its powerful tail. The upper teeth struck first, four inches from my face, scraping noisily, horribly, against the aluminum bars. Then the lower teeth gnashed quickly, as if seeking something solid in which to sink. I shrank back, stumbling as if through molasses, until I could cringe in relative safety in the far corner of the cage. My brain shouted out, you of all people ought to know human beings do not belong in the water with great white sharks. <laughs> you sound you sound crazy there, James. You sound a little That's my, crazy. Uh, I'm, I'm doing my best, Peter Benchley. Yelling at himself or <laughs> yelling at himself. Of all people. <laughs> now we learned when I was in my shark cage that you don't bait the sharks to come directly at the cage. No, that would probably be bad. And you could probably go to YouTube and watch, <laughs> you know, some videos of great white sharks to to realize why you don't bait them coming directly at the cage. Because they're very big and very powerful and they only have one direction and that's forward. And the cage is basically aluminum, right? It's not a it's not a hard metal. It's aluminum. It's aluminum. And although you can thicken it up, I guess, I don't think it's, uh, it doesn't weigh a lot because it has to be lowered on, on a cable. 
Right. And so they don't make it super heavy. So it's just lightweight aluminum metal, which I think is more for looks than for, uh, you know. Structural integrity. Yeah, real protection <laughs> from a, a, a giant great white who wanted to, you know, take it apart. He could probably bite it, bite it apart. Easily, I, I I hearken back to good old Gary Larson and uh, the Far Side ca- cartoons. Remember the cartoon of Don's discount shark cages? Remember that Far Side cartoon? <laughs> no, no, I don't remember that one. But I didn't, I didn't follow uh, the Far Side as much as you may have. But Don's discount shark cages. Oh, it's great! You can uh, you can Google it. It's a good one. Okay. It's one of the best. It's one of the classic Far Side cartoons. Basically, there's a guy very much like this, you know, sitting sitting in a shark cage with, with his scuba gear, looking at the great white sharks, and one swims by, like with a mangled shark cage, Don's discount <laughs> shark cage, like around the body of the shark that he just clearly, like, just ate right through. The shark withdrew, then quickly bit the cage again. And again... And not until the third or fourth bite did I realize that there was something desultory about the attack. It seemed less of an assault than an exploration, a testing, a tasting, if you will. Then the shark turned, showing its flank, and by instinct I crept forward and extended my hand between the bars to feel its skin. Hard. It felt and solid, a torpedo of muscle, sleek and polished like steel. I let my fingers trail along with the movement of the animal, but when I rubbed the other way, against the grain, I felt the legendary sandpaper texture, the harsh abrasiveness of the skin's construction, millions upon millions of minuscule tooth-like particles, the dermal denticles. The shark was moving away upward it had found a hunk of quartered horse probably 10 pounds possibly 20 dangling in the chum the shark's mouth opened and in a split second mechanical replay of the bite on the cage it swallowed the chunk of horse whole its gullet bulged once the meat and bone passed through on its way to the gut nice i remember they had a a whole giant like Thanksgiving turkey yeah. that they had that they had on the boat. It was an old one that they threw in. They say it's one of the sharks' favorite meals, Thanksgiving. There's no one more grateful in the entire ocean than the shark. And uh It plopped that thing <laughs> in his mouth like it was it a like it like it was a gumdrop. Like a like it was a lifesaver candy. You would too if you were freaking twenty feet long and your mouth was the size of a dang turkey. You'd put a whole turkey in your mouth if you could fit it. You know you would. I'd put a whole uh, turkey leg in for sure. Well, it's you, my you, favorite. It's my favorite part of the Thanksgiving dinner. Turkey leg. Turkey leg. Everybody, but... everybody wants to cut up some. <laughs> White white meat breast. It's usually put it, throw it on next to those mashed potatoes, cover them both in gravy. I I like that big old drumstick. Well, I'm a breast man. I'm a leg man. <laughs> I noticed that. I'm and in other things. I'm a leg man, but turkeys. Yeah, yeah. Those sharks like their turkeys. Aren't they worried about upsetting the ecological balance by throwing a turkey into the shark diet? I'm curious. It's probably not that delicate of a balance, I'd imagine. Well, look at the way it is now. They've East uh, Guadalupe. They they shut it down. Oh, they did because the sharks are becoming like we like humans. They feed us, which creates a, a, a giant philosophical discussion of you know what happens when you get these sharks used to human interaction who always have treats and then a boat of humans jumps in the water without treats. Well, probably pretty close to what would happen if they had never got treats in the first place. They, you're still like, Hey, are you hungry? Or are they getting more like humans who we eat out of boredom and, and more of a time thing versus 
we're, we're eating when we're hungry. Tantalized now, <laughs> the shark turned again in search of something more to eat. It bit randomly, gaping and snapping as if hoping that the next bite or the next would prove fruitful. I saw the length of rope drift into its gaping mouth. The lifeline. I realized the only connection between the cage and the boat. Drift out again. Don't get caught. Not in the mouth. Please. The, the great white's mouth closed and opened. Closed and opened. The shark shook its head, trying to rid itself of the rope. But the rope was stuck in a fraction of a second. I saw that the rope had snagged between two, perhaps three or four of the shark's teeth. At that instant, neurons and synapses in the shark's small primitive brain must have connected and sent a message of alarm, of entrapment, for suddenly the shark seemed to panic. Instinct commandeered its tremendous strength and great weight, at least a ton, I knew spread over the animal's 14-foot length and detonated an explosion of frenzied thrashing. You know, old Gary Larson from the <laughs> from the far side, man, he, had, he had a lot of good good shark cartoons. Like the, there's one of a shipwreck. You know, the ship crashed up. You know, speaking of shipwrecks, we were just up diving some shipwrecks up in the Lake Superior there. But the ship crashed up on the rocks just like the shipwreck of the Emperor we were just diving. You know, on a steep, steep incline the right. bow crashed on the rocks the stern fallen into the into the 170 the depths. foot depths but it was uh you know the the ship was carrying acme mannequin company uh <laughs> cargo <laughs> and the the sharks are like eating eating all the bodies but the, the one shark says the other what is this some kind of a cruel hoax because <laughs> they're just mannequins i get it i get it no, let me explain it. If you so do have to explain it. You see, it's not real <laughs> arm and legs that the shark's biting. Oh, Gary Larson. Do you think he uh, he was influenced by the movie Jaws like everyone else? Oh, I think so. Because uh, he's got another one. It, it, it's like the classic Jaws, you know, from the the movie cover. Right. Poster of the shark swimming straight up. Right. You know, with mouth agape. And uh, there just happens to be, like, two dudes sitting on a fishing boat, like two grandpas on a fishing yeah. boat. And he's like, wait, there it goes again, that eerie music. <laughs> he had some good. My grandpa loved The Far Side. Yeah. He, well, he had other scuba. He had scuba-related cartoons in there, too. I, I recall on several occasions. So there weren't many scuba-related cartoons in the papers back in those days but yeah gary larson he must have been a diver at least fascinated with it i think so you know he had he had a good way to capture you know the the humor and the irony you know like the the people playing on the beach and the the, the shark is in the water you know yelling bear bear <laughs> and he scares all the people to run into the water so they don't get attacked by the bear you know? just good classic yeah. humor you know Shark humor, it's the best. The shark's tail whipped one way, and its head the other. Its body slammed against the cage, against the boat, between the cage and the boat. I was upside down, then on my side, then bashed against the side of the boat. There was no up, no down for me, only a burst of bubbles amid a cloud of blood and shreds of flesh from the chum and the butchered horse. What are they doing up there? Don't they see what's going on down here? Why doesn't somebody do something? And for a second, I saw the shark's head and the rope that had disappeared into its mouth. And that's the last thing I remember seeing for a long, long time. For when the shark's tail bashed the cage again, the cage slid down four or five feet and swung into the darkness beneath the boat. 
I knew what would happen next. I had heard of it happening once before. The shark's teeth would sever the rope. (laughs) It's just a rope? They don't have a steel cable? This is 1974. They're they're just learning about this stuff. (laughs) About steel cables? I don't know. I don't know, man. We already know from our Squalus episodes, those cables break at the worst time. Even the steel cables break, let alone when the great white shark is thrashing around. A rope? That shark could go through a rope like it's dental floss. It's nothing. That's what the rope is there for. Could you imagine, hey, we're going to go into, let's climb into this coffin, I mean this cage, cage. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we're going to hang it by this piece of rope with the most razor blade, saw-like teeth predator the sea has ever produced. Don't, I mean. Just, just, cli- just climb on in here, you'll be fine. Just think about it, so so say the rope does does go down. You're in a cage, first of all, in scuba, you have limited gas supply, you've got a rope holding you up, and a giant shark's beating on the cage and bending it all up, and it does like a, say like it, a basically like a pinata. In exactly. The so say that rope breaks and it bashes in the your escape door and it's stuck. I mean, this isn't a far reach, and those little aluminum cages from Don's Discount Cage Store. <laughs> I knew what would happen next. <laughs> Peter says, "I had heard of it happening once before. The shark's teeth." would sever the rope my survival would depend on precisely where the rope was severed if the shark found itself free of the cage it would flee leaving the cage to drift away and perhaps sink someone from the boat would get a line to me eventually eventually yeah (sighs) whether your conscience conscience conscious to uh, receive that line and use it, it's another story. If you well, what if we're what if you're the dive master on the boat? <laughs> yeah. I'm not hey, going Alex. in. I'm not going in after him. Hey, Alex, we need you to go down and get Pete. <laughs> need to run this line down so we can bring Peter back up to the surface. Pete. Descend fast. Descend fast. Don't put any air in your BCD <laughs> when you jump in. Just go right to the bottom as quickly as possible. Say, Pete knew what he was getting into. <laughs> But if the rope stayed caught in the shark's mouth, the animal might drag the cage to the bottom, 50 feet away, and beat it to pieces. (laughs) If I were to have a chance of surviving, I would have to find the rope, grab it, and cut it, all while being tumbled about like dice in a cup. I reached for the knife and the rubber sheath strapped to my leg. This isn't really happening it can't be i'm just a writer i write fiction fiction about sharks bitch you knew that when you got in the cage (laughs) karma's a bitch oh sometimes truth my friend is stranger than fiction it was happening peter says and somewhere in the chaos of my beleaguered brain i appreciated the irony How many other writers, I wondered, have had the privilege of writing the story that foretells their own grisly demise? (laughs) And there you go, people. Shark Trouble. Um, You can pick up your copy of Shark Trouble probably, you know, somewhere on the interwebs uh, shark trouble by Peter Benchley and go on to read the rest of those uh, great stories like the second half and the third part of uh, South Australia along with uh, his other stories about writing Jaws and writing the movie or if you'd prefer you can Google some cool Gary Larson uh <laughs> Shark far side cartoons. cartoons. Yeah. Scuba and shark related. Well, people, I hope you enjoyed that little story by Peter Benchley. As we, Brando and I, kind of get back in the groove of the Great Dive podcast. Back in the groove, James. It'll, uh, we'll be, we should be back 100% next week. 
my guess. Yeah, so uh, get out there and uh, watch a couple of Shark Week episodes, people, in celebration. And uh, shout out to all of our mates down outside of Adelaide, Australia, mate. Maybe you've been to the Neptune Islands. Did a little bit of the sharky sharky. <laughs> the water's down. The water's down there. Chocker block. Chocker blocker of sharkies, mate. Chocker block full. That's fair dinkum, oi. Fair dinkum, mate. A wee bit of fair dinkum. No walkers, matey. That's a bloody oath about them. Them there, sharkies. You got a Vegemite sandwich there, mate. A sandwich. I don't know. How would you say sandwich in Australian? Sammy's. Sammy's. A Vegemite Sammy. Away. All right, Brando, should we uh, write, uh, sign some logbooks? Yeah, we better. Now that, our... now that we're back to uh, <laughs> logbook signing stories. Our, uh, our accents aren't going to carry us through this episode. Yeah, I mean, see your logbook. Here, take, take it. Sign it. All right, mate, let's go find us some Sheilas, you little <laughs> ripper. Oh, hey, Jamesy. Let's go out for a wee little bite, eh? All right, everybody, we'll see you next week. Uh, what was... <laughs> Hold on, damn Skippy. The Great Dive Podcast is hosted by your buddies, James and Brando. 